and I don't know what it's like in the UK, but I'll tell you in North America, I've seen a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's just hard. There's just not enough time because you're so focused on requirements and surfaces and canals and amount of teeth you're taking out rather than going, okay, let's, let's just take a step back and let's focus on comprehensive dentistry. And occasionally you'll get a part-time instructor that pulls you aside and teaches you all this stuff. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, Protrusive I'm Jazz Gulati, and welcome to another episode of the Protrusive Dental Podcast back to basic series. Today, we're covering this mammoth topic of treatment planning, right? Where do you even begin with treatment planning? Well, you begin here uh, because I'm going to break it down with Dr. Parashar from Canada, all about the fundamentals of the kind of conversations you have with your patients. What is the sort of uh, mindset you have when you're treatment planning? What are the stages? How can you actually use your experience and use what the patient's goals are to help inform the best treatment plan possible for your patient? It's, uh, It's something that I used to really puzzle me when I was a newly qualified dentist. I'd see a plan that was more complicated than just single tooth dentistry. And it would be like, uh, how do I apply what I've learned from dental school to this patient in front of me? So it's something that you sort of refine as you gain more experience. And I'm hoping that after this episode, it's going to just give you a, that little bit more of an edge uh, to allow you to think more rationally about your treatment planning. So like I said, I hope you've been enjoying this Back to Basics series. Uh, it's been great fun to, to make it and the guests have been absolutely brilliant during this month. Uh, thanks so much for watching. Now, if you have any more recommendations for topics, I'm always happy to hear them. You can DM me on Insta. You can comment below or you can email me jazz at protrusive.co.uk. I would love to hear your suggestions and I can get uh, the right guests on as well as you want. The protrusive dental pearl I have for this episode is very relevant to treatment planning and it's this. If you have a patient and you're treatment planning them and it's a it's a bigger more complicated problem and I'm thinking like not just that it's multiple teeth but even something like missing teeth like something that's so common right. The biggest problem I used to have is like if someone has missing teeth then sometimes what dentists are unfortunately trained to do or and do do is uh, for every patient that has a missing tooth, they say to the patient, okay, um, there are four or five things you can do. You can uh, uh, do nothing and accept the gap. You can have a bridge. You can have a resin bridge, a conventional bridge, or you can have an implant, uh, or we can do orthodontics or, or whatever, right? And you give the same bloody options all the time. This is really confusing to patients, okay? So if you're unsure which treatment plan to recommend, then that just means the following, that you haven't asked enough questions. So one way to help you to be able to give them the best plan for them, the best plan for your patient, is to ask more questions. How long do you expect this to last? Do you want something removal or something fixed, something glued in? Do you want to be able to choose steak on it or is it merely just for looks? What's your budget? These are the kind of questions you should be asking for the, to a patient to figure out exactly what treatment plan you should recommend. And then you can just let them know that, yeah, all these other things exist, but based on what you said, what you told me, this is the most appropriate treatment plan. And that is a much better way to go than to give everyone the same bloody five options the whole time. It's better just to give them a customized 
tailored recommendation that's going to meet their goals. So remember, if you're not quite sure, you need to just step back and ask more questions so you can understand your patient better. So I hope you enjoyed the series. I'm going to hit the episode now with Dr. Parashar. And for the next episode, we're going to go back to basics for occlusion. So I know it's uh, September, which is going to be Splintember, but we're going to tie in with like a bridge episode, uh, which is going to be back to basics for occlusion. So I'll catch you in that one. Hope you enjoy this main episode with Dr. Parashar, and I'll catch you in the outro. Dr. Parashar, welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. It's, it's great to have you on. Uh, your 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 work on social media that I've seen, we've never met in person, but virtually you're such a uh, just a kind person. And I, I, you know, very been very nice on social media to to, to speak with you, or DMing, comments, that kind of stuff, and just inspirational to see the kind of work you do. Uh, and we st- started chatting and stuff, and we thought it'd be really great to hear from you to pass on, because August has been like a back-to-basics month for the podcast. And it's been to pass on knowledge to young dentists about treatment planning 101, and it'd be really great to chat with you today. But for those people who, who don't know where you are, you know, who you are and what you do, just give us a, you know, a minute or so on, on just about you, you as a dentist. Thanks. You know, first of all, Jazzy, uh, it, it's been really nice to connect with you. I appreciate it very much. And your really nice uh, sentiments uh, about me. I appreciate that as well. I love what you're doing as well, because I, I, I like how you've kind of broken up themes and and you're giving people either practical tips to implement right away or food for thought. And I know for me, that food for thought is a big thing. Um, so I've been practicing 30 years and uh, it's interesting. This You didn't know this, so I'm not trying to do anything weird, but I'm right in the middle of almost finishing a textbook. And that textbook is partly about my story. But also, it's not about teaching treatment planning because there are lots of different ways, as you know, and different mentors and different systems. But the book is geared towards people who are, whether they're early in their career, middle or late in their career, to rethink how you're approaching a patient. And that's not always easy because I think part of it has to come through taking courses with like really good courses, <laughs> and, and and we could go on for hours about that, and uh, and having great mentors and really really good study clubs that actually um, collaborate well together. So, uh, a quick thing with mine, I, I after about eight years, I was just kind of doing drill and fill dentistry. I didn't really know anything different, and my circle of friends were uh, similar. You know, we just, hey, you did this filling, you did this crown. Oh, I ended up doing six crowns one day. You know, it was kind of cool. And then all of a sudden I got introduced to a program and a couple of mentors of mine now that from the University of Minnesota. And uh, I went down there and started taking some courses. And it was a a post-grad aesthetic program, but it wasn't all about aesthetics. All of a sudden I'm getting introduced to occlusion and treatment planning and diagnostics and, you know, having to put up casts and photos on a screen in front of a bunch of strangers and it was like whoa what is this and all of a sudden it became a csi type of thing where all of a sudden you're looking at casts and you see something there that shows up on an x-ray that shows up on a perio chart and it's like oh ding 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 and so i i started looking at things differently and all of a sudden i'm coming back into my practice and i'm like okay that crooked area like I know what I can do for it. And it started evolving that way. And and then I started looking at things differently when I was doing my exams, because now I wasn't looking to find a rest, always just a restorative solution. 
but I was seeing other possibilities. I was seeing implants. I was seeing oral surgery. I was seeing perio. I was seeing ortho. And But someone, other people had to open my eyes to that. And I think part of the challenge is when you get out of school, there's just not enough time to teach comprehensive dentistry. I think, I feel, and I don't know what it's like in the UK, but I'll tell you in North America, I've seen a lot of it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just hard. There's just not enough time because you're so focused on requirements and surfaces and canals and amount of teeth you're taking out rather than going, okay, let's let's just take a step back and let's focus on comprehensive dentistry. And occasionally you'll get a part-time instructor that pulls you aside and teaches you all this stuff, but you can't talk about it in school. (laughs) And so anyway, I'm rambling, but that's kind of, that's how my practice has evolved. And then slowly as we went, I I had a, I have a very close buddy of mine, Ken, and we kind of went on a CE journey and we did COIS and we've done MISH and, and we've just come back and because we're buddies, we can help each other to reinforce what we've learned mm-hmm. and go, okay, well, let's slow down a little. Let's focus on learning the occlusion and implementing it in practice and then going on. So now I'm at the stage where, um, I, you know, I love what I do and so much that I, after 30 years, I bought a building and built a new practice rather than retiring like some of my friends. Amazing. Well, is it lovely to hear your journey? I didn't know about the textbook. That is amazing. I mean, the amount of work and effort. Uh, I can only imagine how many, I mean, it's, it's, it's something you measure in years rather than how many months. I'm sure it's been uh, a project that's spanning years, right? Well, it, it came to fruition early in COVID. And, but, but it's been mm-hmm. a lot of my journey. So, and what I'm, what I'm trying to do is get people to just I, I, retrospectively, I'm going back to cases that I did 10, 15, 20 years ago and go, okay, well, what could I have done differently? Like it worked out, but what did I learn? What do we know now? Like we've got CBCT, we've got so many different things that allow us to diagnose, you know, at a higher level and, and knowing that, hey, you know, orthodontics plays a key role in getting teeth lined up better. So maybe we could do minimally invasive dentistry. And so just, uh, you know, when, when we're, in our day-to-day routine, we see simple thing, lower anterior crowding. And, you know, people will, but you got crooked teeth on the top. Person's only focused on just fixing those teeth. But mm-hmm. you and I know that after 10, 15, 20 years, those teeth will keep shifting. And there's a possibility that you'll get either mobility on those teeth, wear on those lower teeth, or mobility on the top teeth, or the veneers will chip our body compensates in some way ignoring it we could get lucky but there's also a possibility we don't and then what happens so i i I, why not just get that fixed and lined up in the right spot and yeah if a person wants to just shave them down well fine but at least discuss the ramifications but and you see that every if not every day every week in practice so why not at least approach it in a different manner than going oh yeah i can fix those six teeth or eight teeth on the top but why don't we put this fixed, like, let's look at this first, get everything stable, and then you may not even have to cut down these top teeth. Maybe we can do it with some bonding. Mm-hmm. As you call it in, mm-hmm. in Europe, it's called edge bonding, right? In North America, you just mm-hmm. call it bonding. And, but it, it's the same, like, why not do that? And, and, and approaching it in different ways. You know, if the tissue heights are off, well... Why not discuss it ahead of time and maybe orthodontics or maybe crown lengthening might help, not just making one crown look really long and one short. It's just little things that we're, we're 
sometimes we're not taught to look for, or we don't know how to address it or even uh, talk to the patient about. And there's a lot of dentistry in a general practice. You know that there's tons of dentistry, but it's mm-hmm. just how, how we, how we glean it and take it out and, and discuss it with the patients. Well, those little light bulb mo- moments, right? Our mind can only see what our brain knows, right? Is that, is that kind of thing. So exactly like you said, you know, going back to full circle to what you said at the beginning, until you went on that uh, residency program, you opened your eyes. So unless you've uh, treated someone with the upper anterior, using that same example they gave of lower incisor crowding, unless you've treated someone on the upper incisor only and followed them up and seen a, a, a relative failure many years later and then thought, ah, that's why this happened, then the, the way to fast track that is to, to learn about it either from a mentor or from a course. And, and, and it's about almost standing on the shoulder of giants uh, and, and learning from others' mistakes. And you can then start implementing that. So sometimes it's, it's see, seeing and then learning that, okay, this is a, a potential thing I need to have that conversation about. And it all goes back to that exam. I know this episode is uh, Treatment Planning 101, uh, very much designed for young dentists. And I'm, I'm, I'm keen to, as this episode progresses to, to really pick your brain here, which will be uh, amazing. And, and it's such a vast topic. Like we can go in any direction, but the first place I want, I want to start with, if you don't mind, Parashi, is just to get some order and structure is the examination, because I think um, your examination, the quality of your examination will dictate the, the what kind of uh, treatment plan you can present. So just g- talk us through step by step, even if it's like something that starts before the patient actually lands in the chair, step by step, what is it that you're doing to the patient? What are you saying to them? And then how do you come up with your diagnoses? Okay, that's great. So... I feel the medical and dental history is is key. I, I know it sounds so like medical history just sounds so moot, but the thing is there, we know now compared to when I first got out of school that there are so many little clues that can lead towards just, uh, you know, at least um, making sure we, we're not ruling out any gastric issues, sleep issues, things like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, and certain mm-hmm. medications in terms of bleeding and so forth. So it's nice to have that, but the dental history is key. I, I'm not a mentor at the Koi Center, but John's been one of, it's one of the courses that I've done. So I, I actually use his dental history. And, and the reason I use it is because it's just broken up into subsets and I don't have to reinvent the wheel. That's essentially what it is. But um, as long as you have a good dental history that that asks specific, not general questions that you can just find off the internet, like really specific questions about the four main categories that no matter where you go, um, you know, I'm sure some of your mentors have talked, hey, you've got to look at biology, like at, you look at the periodontal foundation. You've got to look at the structure of the teeth, like how heavily restored are the teeth. You've got to look at your TMJ and muscles. So ask a few questions about that and asking a few questions about aesthetics, like what's important to the patient. Okay. So if we have uh, questions like that, it allows me before they come in. And if it's an ex- if you're an existing patient and I, I've been seeing a bunch of things and now you're finally saying to me, oh man, I wish I did this or I wish I did that years ago. And you go, you know what? There's still time we can do a few things. Let's bring you back and we'll, we're going to take uh, between an hour and a half and two hours and do a comprehensive oral exam. And this is the same thing we would tell a new patient, but I would tell you that as an existing patient. And uh, because it's been mm-hmm. a long time, there's a lot of new procedures, technologies, materials that are available, and we might be able to address some of the concerns that you had. And some of it, it might be a little extensive. Some of it might be simple, but let's just 
Let's reset. Presh, just wanted to highlight something for, the, for, the, for those listening, because I think there's a real gem in what you said there. Like uh, in our busy practices, sometimes you know, I've taken over a list whereby um, the same dentist was there for 34 years. And now I've just taken over his list and his patients are all in the 60s and stuff. Right. Uh, and now sometimes the needs or the wants of the patient deserves more than a 15 minute check. Uh, and and it's, it, having that courage to say to the patient, look, I can, I've done my basic screening. Okay. Few issues to discuss. Fine. We can do that. But based on what you said, or based on what I found, you actually need something, a full thorough assessment like you would have had you know, many years ago. And it's about having the, the courage and the conviction and the confidence to say that to a patient to bring them back and then carry out that full examination to then come up with a, a better suggestion, better plan. So it's about rem remembering that just because you only have 15 minutes doesn't mean you have to cram everything in. You totally need to, as a young dentist, sometimes you feel shy or concerned or worried about um, inviting someone back. Absolutely. And listen, if, if you're worried about, um, I, I, I don't like this phrase. I don't, uh, oh, I don't want to step on toes because I think that's a pile of crap. I mean, you, at some point in time, you've got to be bold, but not, uh, not reckless. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and the bottom line is you've got, you, mm -hmm. you, you have a dentist that you respected or dentists that you respected whose practice you took over or you're working with or that did the previous exam. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We've worked so hard on this Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. You know, for me, I just said, listen, when I took over my practice, it was really heavily re restorative driven because that was back. He graduated in the in the 60s and I took over in the 90s. Um, perio wasn't a big thing. So a lot of times he was just cleaning the floor six anteriors with a cabotron and that was it. And all of a sudden I come out of dental school, perio was a foundation and they're going like, what are you doing? Why are you spending so much time cleaning teeth? And I go, well, listen, you know, back when <laughs> John retired, um, what, when he came out of school, it, there were a lot of cavities. We have less cavities. So we weren't, they weren't focusing on foundation. We're focusing on, so I, I, I wasn't throwing him under the bus. I was just reframing things. So it's the same thing. You go, listen, there are a lot of things that have changed right now. We have new materials. We have, we have new uh, composites. We have new ceramics. We have aligners, which we weren't using 20 years ago. So there are things that we might be able to do to help improve your smile in a conservative manner. And, but I need more time. And one of the things that's important, mm -hmm. I don't think we take enough uh, I'm not saying all the time, but every few years, I think we need to, especially with people who have a lot of posterior restorative, taking full mouth series. We have to. We got to be able to diagnose everything. We got to diagnose the margins, carries everything. Now I'm rambling. So, so what I what I what I will suggest is that having a good dental history that will have some questions that can potentially lead to op like they're more open ended questions because they can put. If they put a yes there, 
you've got a lot of, you can have a lot of other things you can ask if they said, well, I have a fear of dentists. Well, tell me about that. What happened? How, or, mm. Hey, my, my bonding always chips. I had that this week. Someone came in for consult. Well, the person did bonding eight months ago and it's all broken, but she has edge to edge occlusion and shear fractures. And she goes, so I don't want bonding. I just want veneers. And I go, well, it's not about veneers. It's your bite's not in the right spot. It's not engineered properly. Uh, so I would rather you consider seeing my orthodontist and then I'll do some bonding. Well, but bonding doesn't work. No, it's not the bonding. <laughs> and so, but you can't do that in a five minute exam. So a new patient, we ask them to come in and have a comprehensive oral exam. And part of that involves a periodontal assessment. And that's a full period assessment. So that's like um, doing pocket depth charts on every single tooth, right? Every, the full, exactly what we're doing with the periodontists that I choose to work with, which means not just pocketing, bleeding scores, clinical attachment loss, mobilities, recession, everything. That way... We And how do you do that? Bring in a periodontist. Bring in one of the periodontists that you work with and say, look, let's work with the hygienist. Here's what we need. Here's the why. When we finish, okay, so that's a period. And I'll get back to that in a sec, but that's the period assessment. Mm -hmm. Photographs. Taking a full face photograph and a few digital SLR photographs, at least a smile, uh, occlusal shots. How do we get the assistants trained? Well, now I had Sonny come in and do that. But before that, uh, my orthodontist, hey, most <laughs> orthodontists do fantastic photos, and my best friend's an orthodontist. So send the team to the orthodontist. They spend an hour and a half with our cameras and retractors. Done. Now they know how to take pictures. Okay? So they come in and they take the pictures. We'll take um, basic series of x-rays, and if there's a lot of restorative, then I'll say, you know, we'll talk about it and go, you know what? We need a full mouth series. And then... In terms of the aesthetics, what I'm getting, the hygienic... Now, they're coming in... If it's a new patient exam, there's two ways to do it. But they're coming in right now in the hygiene appointment. And I know there's philosophically some dentists go, no, I got to see first the other way. You know, if you, I feel if you can train your hygienist well enough to at least gather the information appropriately, they can get started on some things and do the fact-finding. That's my feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and so... They're they're coming in. So I have two entry points in the practice. One is straight with me, which would be about an hour, and one would be with hygiene. It would be closer to about an hour and forty five minutes. Okay. Wow. And um, so when they come in there, they'll gather the information. But the first thing I ask them to do is just to sit down and because the same way as I would and go through the dental medical history, sit eye level with one another, and just go over the questions. And not get hung up on, oh, I got to get the bib on and I got to start cleaning teeth. No, this is about connecting, getting to know the patient's why, their fears, what their expectations are, and build a relationship in that first little bit. And I tell the hygienist, if you don't pick up the scaler that first appointment, that's okay. Because if that person mm -hmm. needs the time to talk, gather information, because it's a complicated case, it's okay. You can bring them back, but if you, it's good as a hygienist to, to hear that from your boss, right? Uh, you know, so you don't have the pressure. You can just do a, 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 you know, as be as thorough and as complete as you as you want to be. Right, and and it's important for the patient to understand that. That's why sometimes, a lot of times, they'll start in the hygiene because if if it's a simple condition, they can get 
some of the active therapy started or even done and the patient's happy. But if they don't, as long as you have good verbal skills and you feel confident enough, you can communicate that, listen, you know, Jazz, you've got a complicated case. Your teeth are, you know, not straight. You've got a lot of inflammation. We need to spend a little more time trying to figure out how to get you healthier. And so I don't think Mm -hmm. we're going to be able to get started today. I need these measurements so when Dr. Shaw comes in, we can have a really good conversation about how we can get started with you. And if you build that value, it does work. I've seen it. It does work. So gathering the information on those four And the other thing that might do, Dr. Shah, is the other thing that might do is if you have that patient who's just not um, playing ball with that, then that's probably not the patient that you want in the practice anyway, right? So it, it, it gets rid of the uh, the weeds. Right. So I'm glad you said that because when I built the new practice, I, I really defined core values as strategic anchors. And one of the strategic anchors is we... Um, want our patients to partner in their care. And so I, the entire team, including the admin, they know that. So I, I sometimes when they started, just newly started with me, they go, oh, this person doesn't want x-rays. I go, well, how does that get with our strategic anchors? Well, it doesn't. They go, okay, so you know the answer, right? So explain the value mm-hmm. of it and just say, listen, in our practice, our patients are used to having that and partnering in their care. Here's what we do. And they have to sign off a form that they don't want it. But if they if they're refusing everything, then we just say, look, this is, you know, this probably isn't the practice for you. Yeah. And and it's hard when you're a young dentist and in during COVID and it hasn't been busy, but uh, but that's what we're doing. That's what we've been doing. But I've got the, the those are the records that I'm trying to gather in a comprehensive exam. Is and I and I'll if if they come to see me first. I will gather those records. <laughs> I don't usually do the periodontal measurement. My hygienists are better at it. And I will tell them, I'll get a rough idea of what it looks like. And I'll say, Jazz, I'm going to schedule you with uh, with Aaron or uh, Shane or Liz. And I'm going to be there that day. And they're going to take over the second part of it. And we just I just need a diagnosis. Because one of the things that I want to do is I want to give every patient, every adult patient, a periodontal diagnosis, AAP classification. Mm-hmm. The reason I want them to own their condition, I don't want to own it. I don't want to own it. I want them to own it. And the bleeding score for the last eight or nine years since we've been doing this is so powerful because my hygienists go, look, your bleeding score is like 13%. I want it at five. Like you got inflammation. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe you're not going to get bone loss from it, but you're going to objective measurements and they see that chart and they see the red spots uh i'll tell you most of the patients own it and they're like oh and so what do we do then when the inflammation's high what did you learn in school a reeval you come in at six weeks just like at the perio and you do a reevaluation and jazz you got to do your homework during those six weeks because we're going to take the measurement again and if not you're going to see our period on and we do that it takes extra time, but you know what? Our our handoff also to our specialists for our periodontist is smoother because they know what we do and they don't sit and go through eight months of treatment again. They just go, okay, we know what's happening here. Let's just get started with 
our surgical intervention or whatever we need to do. But the perio is a huge part of our practice and that bleeding score and clinical attachment loss, oh, it's powerful. Absolutely. And, and you just reminded me of a couple of things uh, as you, the, some of the themes were hitting there. And one thing that, you know, the importance of asking the right questions as you do uh, as part of the, the, the set list you have. And, and one thing that I was always taught by a mentor was if you're not quite sure what the treatment plan should be for your patient, you haven't asked enough questions. So that's one thing that I always keep in mind. That means, okay, I need more. I need to ask more questions and then I will feel more certain myself what to recommend. It just is a, a sign that I haven't obtained enough information. Uh, and the second thing is that you said about these set questions um, and the importance of having a checklist of, of some sorts. And it reminds me of, of a dentist who came to shadow me one day uh, and she saw me do two new patient examinations. And then at the end of the examination, she said, Jazz, I, I noticed that you you did the exact same thing for those two patients. Um, yes, they were individual. I treated them individually and I came up with a different diagnosis and a plan. But the way I did things was the, exactly the same. And and then she said, you know, I never thought I, I always just go with the flow with the patient. I, you, you seem to have a more structured way of doing it. So just tell us about the importance of having a structure, having a, a, a are you a checklist kind of guy? So, so in my lecture, um, there's a, even if it's a clinical lecture, I throw in and the checklist manifesto made a huge impact on me years and years ago. And so mm-hmm. I've read the book. Um, I've, uh, I, checklists are part of the fabric of the practice. And what we do is we create a checklist. In fact, my assistants, I've noticed in the last few weeks, I had a quick sidebar, had a conversation with the team. I was noticing that the communication wasn't great with the assistants, hygienists, and admin. And I said, listen, no one's using the checklist regularly. We need to get back to it. There's just too much information during the workflow to worry about stocking toilet paper and stuff. I mean, that's a checklist thing. Don't clutter your mind. (laughs) Like we got to focus on patient care and our team and not go, oh my God, I'm worrying about putting paper towels back. Are you kidding me? So so get back to the checklist. And, and the assistant said to me, you know what? You're starting to do things different with some of your restorative procedures. And I go, so what do we need to do? She goes, I need to update the checklist. I go, well, let's do it. I'll sit with you. So what we do is we laminate the checklist and we have a dry erase pen. Mm. And so, yeah, there is a comprehensive exam. There is one for, you know, veneer cement uh, bonding. There is one for... Uh, an annual periodontal maintenance. There's one for a comprehensive oral exam in the hygiene room. And all I want- It's clinical protocols, isn't it? It's clinical protocols as part of success. Right. And I want them to check it off. And the reason I want to, even if it's something that they don't feel they need to do, I want them to physically check it off. I know it sounds mundane, but it's the same thing. I said this Mm -hmm. yesterday. I said, team, here's the thing. Picture yourself on the operating room table because that happened to me last year and I had my knee replacement and everyone in the operating room introduced themselves to me and said what their role was. And there was someone in there with a checklist. I said, do you want that Mm -hmm. when you're in the operating room or when you're going on a plane, do you want the pilot to glance over the list or do you want them to actually go, no, I did look and see that switch is there. That's all I have to say. I don't have to say anything else. And all I'm saying is it, it only takes you a second to check it that, hey, okay, I didn't need x-rays today, but yeah, I considered it. Boom. And so, yeah, the consistency, as you said, is important. And so that's what I do as well. Um, and so we have a checklist in there and we'll go, okay, are we doing this? Are we doing that? Yeah, we grab it. And so sometimes 
your assistant, let's say you're doing the exam, they can actually get started before you come in because maybe you're finishing an exam, they've taken the patient in, and they go, look, I know Paresh is going to want an intraoral scan, so let me just start it. I'll just take it. So when Paresh comes in, it's like, oh, you're taking the scan. Okay, I'll be back in a minute. Hi, Jazz. Nice to meet you. I'll be back in two minutes. And we just, we're going. And um, you asked about records. Can I continue for a sec? Yes, please, please. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm absorbing this, absolutely. One of the other records we take is an intraoral scan. So in our comprehensive exam, every patient gets an intraoral scan. So we don't pull out the alginate and everything. And the hygienists do it if it's in the hygiene room. The assistants do it if it's in our room. And it honestly only takes them about five to seven minutes. That's it. My assistants are faster. It takes two or three minutes, but I'm slower. It takes me more like five <laughs> minutes. And uh, But they do it. And, uh, you know, the, the fear for them when I initially introduce is, oh, what are you going to do with it? What do you? I go, listen, it's strictly diagnostics. We want to print a model if I want to send an STL file to one of the specialists, but I'm not making crowns on it. Don't worry. <laughs> And, uh, and so mm -hmm. that's part of the process that, that we do as well. So we're gathering and that we're gathering periodontal charting photographs. I also ask them to do all of the hard tissue charting on the chart as well, existing restorations and everything. Mm -hmm. So it does take time, but that allows me, if it's more complicated, I can sit now with the patient, introduce myself, talk about a few things and say, listen, I think you do you realize now that, uh, it's a your condition's a lot more complicated. You've got a couple of areas of decay here. Your your tooth is drifting over here. An implant might help, but I'll, I'm going to need a, a cone beam, like a CT scan. So let's gather this. I'll bring you back, and we can have a nice conversation over an hour rather than five minutes. I mean, let's talk about that. So um, let's talk about a situation whereby you've gathered all the information the patient's wants and desires, uh, and now you've also found out the patient's needs. You've got uh, the perio stuff, you know, your ortho classification, you've got your imaging that you want. Um, do you always uh, invite them back for a second visit to explain their findings? Do you do that virtually? Do you do it in, in, in person? Do you sometimes not need to do it if it's a quite a straightforward maintenance case? Just give us a flavor to the young dentist about that. Okay, so if, it, if it's a straightforward maintenance case um, and they... Um, then I, I would probably, I, I typically would just bring them in, start the next, you know, book them in for their next restorative appointment. And if there are a few things that, you know, how you, you're phasing treatment and, and phase one, you want to treat mm -hmm. caries and stabilize the perio. So, you know, in during that one, but there may be elective treatment that in terms of crowns and um, maybe a bridge or an implant or things like that, or ortho. So I will say, look, and here's our first phase. Let's, uh, let's get you scheduled because the decay on a couple of these teeth are pretty bad. And I want to get that started right away and maybe minimize the risk of a root canal. So let's get you in there. And if I've got, if I know there's other treatment that is elective, but necessary, I will schedule extra mm -hmm. time at the end of one of those appointments to go over it. If it's strictly elective, mm -hmm. I'll say, look, let's get through, and it's just me. I'll just, let's get through all of the initial cavities. And then I'm going to bring you back and we're going to discuss elective treatment. And I'm going to give you, because I know at that yeah. time, it's going to be things that I feel they can benefit from, but it might involve implants. It might involve ortho. And I don't want to do it in five minutes. I want to spend time showing them with their, with their, their intraoral scan and their 
their x-rays and everything, look, why, why should you maybe consider uprighting these teeth and doing this and doing that? Or- but that's all at the end of phase one, isn't it? That's all at the end of disease management, right? You're, you're, you're having that chat again, which, which makes so much sense. Right. Now, having said that, if their focus has been, hey, my aesthetics, my aesthetics, and I got to get the smile. No, I'm going to bring them back. Yes, we can schedule their restorative appointment, but I'm going to do, um, I'm going to show them a, a smile design. I'm going to do a mock-up on them. I'm going to do all of that, and I'm going to mm-hmm. schedule a separate appointment. So when it comes to uh, to uh, mock-ups and smile design, uh, I'm not doing, I'm going through a a DS, a digital smile design process with my lab, or sometimes I'm doing it myself and I'm designing the smile on ExoCAD. And then I'm printing a model, creating a mock-up. And if I don't have time, I get my lab to do that and send me the model in a stent. And then I'll do a putty matrix in the mouth and I'll, I'll go through that whole digital smile design process. Do you do you bill for that? Just because different doctors do it differently, so some <laughs> some will do it um, to, to, as a motivational thing to to just cement the the idea that hey, this is a good idea. And and, and some doctors are afraid to charge because they don't they, they want the patient to see the mock up, right? Whereas others are like no, I don't want any tire kickers. I want to be able to bill for it to see if they're committed to that. So where do you lie on that? I'm going through this process again after this many years. Uh, my my team's like, you got a bill for it. And I'm like, maybe not. And so it's kind of in a mixture. So part of it, if it's a simple smile design that I'm comfortable doing quickly myself on my own software, which I, I have ExoCAD so I can use it, I it doesn't take me long. So I, if I can do it in 10 to 15 minutes and then send the model to our printer and print it out the next day and so forth, uh, I'm not charging, but if I get involved with the lab, the lab's charging a fee for that, and I'll I'll tell the patient, look, there's going to be a lab fee for it, and I'll just charge them the lab fee, which is a couple hundred dollars. Um, and uh, so it's kind of a mixture, and I'm trying to uh, get through that part uh, right now. And, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but it's a fair question to ask. So I'm still mm-hmm. wishy-washy on it. I'm doing a little bit of both. No, it was just good, good to know how different doctors do it. So your your um, your, your way is valid as well, and, and that that's great. Now, once you have, uh, like you said, all these different um, bits of information together, the funny thing is, um, uh, Doctor Shine, you, you you know you'll appreciate this is you and how you treat and plan now, and that same person who would have walked into you 15 years ago, they would get different treatment plans, and dare I even say it, even last week morning, afternoon, slightly different treatment plans. It's just human nature. We know this, right? So how you uh, treat and plan, how you diagnose, it's variable on time, experience, um, um, your your mentorship that you have available to you. So I used to get very um, worked up about it. Like there's like so many different ways to treat this one individual. And, uh, you know, newly qualified, I was like, ah, should we go down this route? Should we go down that route? And then sometimes what young dentists end up doing is that we end up uh, confusing the patient. We say, well, you could have this or you could have this. And then here's the pros and cons. And here's the pros and cons. How do you, A, come up with a, a, a plan that you think is the best for the patient? How do you convey that to the patient? And then how do you also then part of it, you know, in the UK, certainly one of the sort of things that um, our, um, our regulator wants us to do is we have to offer alternatives and also the, the risk of no treatment. So you have to go through a, a lot of things. But how do you do it in a way that doesn't confuse the patient? Oh, you know what? That's a great question because, you know, sometimes I've been I've found myself in the past giving so much information that the patient goes through what we call analysis paralysis. And they're like, oh, man, so much information. I just don't even mm-hmm. want to talk about it. And then they just don't do anything. So uh, I think 
Yeah, uh, number one, like Simon Sinek says, is finding out their why. Like, what is really, really uh, the most important to them, and then, uh, and then from there, um, taking the information. Like, I, I find for us, there was there was a there was an interdisciplinary meeting that my two orthodontist buddies and my restorative buddy we went to that was headed by Vince Kokich when he was alive years ago, it was about 20 years ago. And there was, there are teams of uh, oral surgery, perio, restorative, and uh, uh, up on, on stage, an ortho up on stage, just showing a case. And there was a restorative doc that said something. She goes, you know what? We tend to look at things through restorative eyes and the specialists look thing, at things through specialty eyes. And what we're trying to do as a group is look through interdisciplinary eyes. We're trying to look at things a little different. And I think as restorative docs, our, our, our lowest common denominator is just, hey, I can do restorative. And so what I try and do is I'll try and look, decipher, and it's a little more complicated. I understand this, but I'll try and decipher what you're, I'll, I'll put together the problem list of the key things that are important to you. I'll add the things that I note, okay? And as I, and, okay, sidebar. There, uh, there was a Jeff Morley and a Jimmy Eubank that had been teaching restorative and smile design like even 20 years ago, and I was taking a lot of their courses. And one of the things they taught me was to look at each of the records separately. So you take your x-rays and you just quickly analyze all of them, jot a few notes, put it away, pull up the clinical photos, jot a few notes, put it away, take the casts out, jot a few notes, pull the perio chart out, jot a few notes. And they say, when you do that, all of a sudden you'll start seeing, hey, you've got a wear facet on a tooth. You look at the perio chart and, there, uh, and there's a pocket or mobility. And then you look at the, at, um, the x-ray and there's a widened PDL. I mean, I'm making it simple. It's all tied in. So I try and look at that quickly, jot a few notes, come up with the list and then I'll say to you, okay, here, um, here are the things that you want to address. Now I can do this restoratively by doing this, this, this. Okay. However, if I do it restoratively, can you see this picture? Can you see this tooth? I'm going to have to be pretty aggressive with my treatment on these to correct what you want to have corrected. Cause maybe it's a tooth that tipped and let's just keep it simple. We've got drifting here. Someone wants an implant or a bridge, and I've got to really aggressively treat all of these teeth. Oh, well, what's the risk of that? Well, might need a root canal on these teeth. Well, I don't want root canals. Well, okay, but that's one. Well, what's another way? Well, if you would consider seeing my orthodontist or whatever, we could tip them up. Oh, but I don't have braces. I go, okay, well, I get it, but are you willing to accept <laughs> cutting those teeth down? If you are, that's fine. And is there another risk? Yeah, I can cut these teeth down, but it's tipped so much that when I finish putting this crown, there's going to be a gap over here. You will get food in there. Mm -hmm. And it may not be important to you now, but 20 years from now, you're a little bit older. You, you're my age. And all of a sudden now you're getting all your food there. And I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I love <laughs> eating food. I don't like picking it out of my but this is a possibility. And so I start bringing it that way. And when you say risks and complications, I want them to understand it in practical terms, in relatable terms of what it's going to be. 
you know, they don't need to, they're not going to care about periodontal disease. They're going to care about, I'm getting all my lunch stuck in that area. And when I'm sitting with my friends at the dinner table, I don't want to be running to the washroom to clean it out. So give them something like that. So I, I try and break it up that way and give them a why as to what we can do. And now all of a sudden, it slowly opens up the conversation to other disciplines. Same thing with gummy smile uh, or uneven gingival heights. And they've got a gummy smile. Is it important to you? So I just did this with a patient yesterday. And I asked her, she came in, a nice young girl. She's in her late 20s, beautiful smile, but they're just a little bit crooked and the, the gingival heights aren't great. And her lip dynamics are a little high. So what I, and I, and I, so I mentioned, I said, look, there's a couple, there's several different ways that we can do this, but we got to figure out why you have a gummy smile. Is it skeletally, mm -hmm. your jaw, the way it grew, is it, how much the teeth have erupted or not erupted with even with the gum eruption, or is it your lip is moving more than it should mm -hmm. be? And, uh, and how important is it? And so, because that involves possibly ortho, orthognathic surgery, surgical crown lengthening, Botox, any of those, we know that, right? So all these other disciplines, cause I can just throw mm -hmm. veneers on there, but if she's going to be unhappy with her smile, I'm dead in the water. She's not going to be happy with them after. So what mm -hmm. do I do? I, I did a mock-up. I just took some composite, I dried off her lips. I put some composite over the gum tissue of one tooth that was shorter. I lengthened two other teeth. I now opened up the conversation to three other disciplines. And you know what? She says, this is exactly mm -hmm. what I want. I, uh, I don't want to do anything else. Are you happy with the level and the way the, the reveal of the gum? Yeah, I'm happy. Perfect. Let's do some bonding. We'll trim this tissue. I'll sound the bone. That was it. Mm -hmm. But I brought up in relatable ways. I hope I'm not confusing everything. It's just something that they can relate to tangibly. Exactly. And, and you showed her a visual aid to, to help come up with the, with, with then, which would then inform the best of the many ways to treat her because all those ways could have had a role, but in terms of what would get her happy and what doesn't involve perhaps orthognathic, orthognathic surgery, if that was that if that wouldn't be relevant or the correct uh, sort of uh, treatment for that individual, um, so 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 that's very relevant. Right, and and so so part of part of the whole thing is I've got my I've got my list, I I've got my problem list, I've got the why, and now. I mean that that's brilliant by the way the, the problem I just want to just before you just, uh, just I just want to highlight I've got to highlight the problem list is is crucial something that I was taught when I'm doing the orthodontics and orthodontists are really good at creating problem lists but sometimes you forget that we can do it in all disciplines and, and I like that how when you were saying the problem list before you are relating it to the in, in patient terms so it's, it's something that you uh, I feel as though it's a problem list that you feed back to the patient so this is how what I've understood. These are the problems, uh, and these are these are the solutions to your problems. And I, th I feel as though that's the very uh, basis of the treatment planning. It is. It is. And and I think I tend to, as I'm doing that, lead them first with, and I lead them or start first with restorative solutions because that's what they can relate to. They're coming to get a filling. They're coming to get a crown. They're coming to get a veneer. And but the risks of some of that can be mitigated possibly by crown lengthening, periodontal intervention, ortho intervention. So it allows me to then go, okay, well, if you don't want to cut this down, 
then I think you, you should at least have a consultation with my orthodontist, or you should at least have a conversation with my periodontist or my oral surgeon. And it opens up the interdisciplinary conversation rather than me just going in there. Well, you need to see ortho, you need to see a perio, you need to see this. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I didn't want that. I'm trying to relate it and let them make some of those choices to go, well, I really don't want to cut these teeth down. Okay, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if we can put them in the right spot, well, how long would it take? Well, you know what? Some of it is just unraveling some of the teeth. I use simple terms. Like, let's just, they're all... Mm -hmm. You know, they're all closed. Let's just unravel them a little bit. Now I don't have to touch them because they're beautiful teeth. We do some whitening, put the teeth in the right spot, and we'll fix these three chips on the bottom that wore down. Is that going to be expensive? And I go, well, you're going to spend the money on the orthodontics, but now you don't have to spell them on the teeth. And maybe 20 years from now, you're going to have, if something breaks, you're going to have the money and you're going to have the teeth to be able to keep them. So it's always taking it back to um, mitigating risk. Um, and allow, allowing them to relate to like, make the decision on, do they want to preserve tooth structure or not? Well, you, you mentioned, uh, fees there and money, which is so important because, uh, again, I, it's something that a lot of dentists are guilty of uh, as a young dentist, um, in a few years out of dental school, the, the most, the worst thing you could do is trying to diagnose someone's wallet, right? Trying to say, okay, well, I think this patient can afford this to let me, let me scale down my treatment plan to make it fit this imaginary budget that you come up with, which which was totally the wrong way to do it. Uh, but equally, there are patients who just can't afford certain levels of care. So how do you present a treatment plan? Um, and then also trying to make sure to try and do it in a way that the patient can can it's within the patient's budget. Any any tips on that as, as my final question? I use the phrase ortho is my best friend. And even though I don't do a lot, maybe like 5%, it's ortho. Um, if you can put the teeth and the system, and now I'm using the word system, not for patient, but I can say it with system, like you're, the engineering of your bite is not ideal. It's wonky. Okay. It's just no different than when you've got uh, shifting of piles under your house and the house is settling and you're wondering what the heck is going on or the car is imbalanced. And I, very relatable mm -hmm. terms. Like, do you want me to rebuild the house on those wonky piles or would you rather us, let's take the piles out, get it nice and level? So your system isn't ideal. If we can put the system in the right spot, uh, and yes, mm -hmm. you're going to have to spend some money doing orthodontics, I can do single tooth dentistry for the rest of your life. If the teeth are all lined up properly and you can only afford one crown or one filling a year, fine, I'll do that. If you can afford three of them, I'll do three of them. But if they're crooked and everything and the bite's not good, I, I'm going to put it in a failing system. It's going to still – you risk wearing them down the road or chipping or breaking them. Go through orthodontics, line them up, keep your aligners. I, and it, what some dentists will go, well, but then you know I missed out on this. You know what? You're still going to make the money. You've got a healthy periodontal – you've got a periodontal patient that's compliant – they come in regularly, so you don't make the ten thousand dollars in one. You make it. You make fifteen thousand dollars over five years. It's an annuity. Like you're still making it financially, mm -hmm. but now you've got that, 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 that. We need to hear that. That's very good, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and then now you have the satisfaction of knowing that you've done the best for the patient, right? And so, if they choose not the ortho, then how do you do that? You transition them with transitional bonding, um, whether it's direct or whether it's with milled 
PMMA or something like that, you can do that. But when you do it that way, they are committing to some sort of treatment on, on some of the teeth because you might be reshaping them. While with the ortho, you can just kind of stick them there. So you can still give them both options to stage treatment. And then they're going to have to deal with the maintenance of chipping some of the fillings or transitional bonding. And so you just say, listen, if they do chip or break, here's the fee for fixing it. But at least I can transition you over four or five years. If you can only afford a few thousand dollars a year, your insurance maybe covers a thousand and you say that you can probably put in a couple of thousand, but you got a $10,000 treatment. I'll get you there in three years, but we're going to, the first year we're going to do is stabilize your decay and we're going to just get your bite stable. And it's going to be one of two ways, orthodontics or transitional bonding. Well, the main thing there, I think, uh, to take away is that um, the, the, the foundation, the disease management is there. And, that, and that's part of the thing that, you know, you can't really compromise on. So you pr present that. And then what you what you also pretty much uh, said there was that you haven't given them a plan and you try to diagnose their wallet or anything. You're giving them the ideal solution and you're giving them the why related to them as why that is ideal. But it just you just might know that, you know, okay, instead of doing it all now, you're spreading right. it over time so they still get the best care. And I think that's the best way to, to summarize that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's what I feel. So. I mean, I'm sure you have cases right now where it's taking three, four years because they're going through a lot of work. And and sometimes you forget about it. You go, damn, I'm not doing it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they just finished orthopathic surgery or they just finished this and let's start going. And uh, it's kind of fun because it's almost like, oh, I forgot about you. It's great. And uh, <laughs> but, but the thing is, it, it does. It, I don't know. It's I just find it more rewarding. And I'm sure you do, too, at your stage now. I do feel... Um, it, it can be a little scary and daunting for a young clinician to look at all of this and go, oh, my God, that's so much. But it really isn't, because if you really think about it, uh, most dental schools, you went through and had to do at least one or two comprehensive care uh, cases, I would assume, where you had a series of clinicians that you worked with. And that was probably the most intimidating because there was one doctor that you knew was going to tear you apart with questions and literature, mm -hmm. but you did it. And it's a matter of just, okay, going back to that foundation and just almost doing an overkill of you, what you feel might be an overkill of your exam, because that's what you really want to do. So just do that, like go back to that fundamental. And the other thing that I would say is find a mentor, find a, an experienced mentor that um, that will walk you through uh, gathering the information, uh, showing you if you're doing analog, why it's important to mount the cast rather than just holding it in your hand and, and, mm -hmm. and how to interpret this, this stuff. But actually sitting and listening, like you said, that young dentist, she watched you do exams and watch and observe because a big part of it is interpersonal communication when you have that information and presenting it and communicating um, so that it makes sense and it's not jumbled up and it is relatable takes time it's it, it's you can't be technical with the patient Amazing. Um, Parish, that's been really good. I mean, it's a big topic to, to cover, treatment planning, but I feel like the, the, the themes that we've gone into is going to be quite helpful for young dentists as part of the Back to Basics series. Um, please, you must let me know when your, your textbook is out. I'd love to share it with the Patrice Rati. Uh, and uh, again, if you're not already following Parish on, on Instagram, please do check it out. His, his sensational work, a lot of amazing um, aesthetic work, veneers, author restorative, complex plans. Uh, sometimes these, just by seeing the work that's possible inspires you. Uh, as a young dentist, 
is sometimes you, you, you know, you, you look ahead and you think, ah, you know, how am I going to complete that? But just by hearing Parrish's story today and seeing his development and he did COIS and he did that uh, residency, it, it's not something that happened like an overnight success, it's something that took time for you to build into. So as inspiration, I would encourage you to, to look at those cases. Thank you so much, Jazz. I really enjoyed the conversation. And like you said, it's a very complex topic and, you know, I hope it wasn't overly confusing or daunting, but, um, but if uh, hopefully just took a few, they, you know, some of the audience took a few pearls out of there. It's it's those pearls that you know the way we communicate to patients or the way you present certain things or, the, or it's it's all about the conversations that we have on a day to day basis. And I thought this episode was full of those kind of conversations and the importance of a checklist, a lot of very foundational things which you, we we don't talk about enough. I think so. Again, uh, thank you so much, and I hope you have an awesome weekend uh, in Winnipeg, Canada, where you're based. All right. Thanks very much. I hope you have a great weekend as well. Well, there we have it. Thank you so much for listening or watching all the way to the end. If you're listening on your podcast player, please do hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. If you're watching on YouTube or on Dental Tubules, hit that subscribe button. I'd really appreciate it as well. And I'll catch you in the next episode of the series. <laughs>